Hey, Peace Nicks. Thanks for tuning in to the Peace on Drugs podcast. Today's guest is Gretchen Bergman. She is the co-founder and executive director of A New Path and lead organizer of the Moms United to End the War on Drugs campaign. She's a great guest. This is her second time being on the show. I think it was really cool. It was a uh, a little over a year ago when she first came on the show. She was my first guest that was outside of my friend group that had been on the podcast. So my first guest that actually was in the work on helping to end the war on drugs and to work. She does a lot of work in harm reduction, providing naloxone. She saved thousands of lives, her and the mission that she does. So this is uh, this was a really good conversation. We touched on a lot of areas, a lot of different uh, things within the war on drugs. We talked about what the defund police movement, uh, you know, should have been and what, you know, where they went wrong with it, how the name was just awful. We, you know, we got a little political um, because the war on drugs is political. There's no way to avoid it. But we had a great conversation. She was my ninth guest over a year ago, and this is the 49th episode. So 40 episodes later, she's back. Um, I'd learned so much more since the first time I talked to her. So I was so glad I got to talk to her again. I know you're going to enjoy this episode. Before we dive in, going to do a little bit of ads for some hemp cigarettes. If you want to try a hemp cigarette, it's a great alternative to tobacco, nicotine-free. It is a hemp cigarette by Krim. You can go to sugarcali.com and use the offer code PEACE, P-E-A-C-E, 15. PEACE, 15, to get 15% off your hemp cigarettes. Also, if you like Kratom, if you enjoy Kratom, as I do, check out happyhippoherbals.com. They have all different kinds of strains from yellow, red, green, white. They have flavored Kratoms. They have Kratom taffy. They have chewables. So check it out. Go to happyhippoherbals.com. Enter the offer code THEPEACE15. THEPEACE15 to get 15% off your Kratom needs. All right. Thank you so much for listening. We're going to dive into this episode with Gretchen Bergman. America's public enemy number one in the United States is drug Drugs are menacing our society. Your thoughts on the drug problem? I had a great time doing drugs. So tonight, from our family to yours, from our home to yours, thank you for joining us. This is the Peace on Drugs. On drugs. Oh, hello, how are you? I'm good, thanks. I'm glad to have you back on the podcast. It's been a year, huh? Yeah, it's been a whole year. Um, yeah. and, um, I've I've learned a whole lot since the last time we've talked, um, not just about recording and all that, but um, about harm reduction and everything. It's pretty been a it's been a journey. Um, yeah, you were my ninth guest. I was looking at that ninth guest. Now you're you're going to be my forty ninth. Wow! Well, congratulations to you. Thank you. Yeah, I've talked to um, um, um and you cool. and you're speaking to some pretty powerful people. Yeah, Maya, I've gotten right? lucky. Yeah, Maya, Maya was on. I was surprised when she agreed. I just reached out and she was happy to do it. It was great. Yeah, yeah. She's she's quite an intelligent woman. And you know, this isn't this isn't her first book, so she's yeah, yeah, she's done a lot. Um and I, I hate that I didn't finish her book. Um, I was trying to cram it in before the podcast and I got almost through the book and then we did the podcast and then I finished the book and it, and it was at the end when she started talking about um, the work that you do and mentioned you by name a few times. And I was like, man, I wish I, 
I would have got to that so we could have talked about how you were my first guest. You were really my first guest outside of the people I knew personally. Yeah. Uh, she, uh, there's some funny stories with that too. I, you know, I've known her for years. And so our interviews uh, when I talked to her was pretty informal, you know, just uh, chatting and stuff. And I had no idea that she was including a whole chapter and more on the work that I, that I do. So um, somebody I saw somebody on an on airplane who reached up and said, uh, uh, what is your, I, I think I, I, oh, I was wearing my, my mom's, um, uh, too many mom's morning mask. And he happened to be reading the book. And he said, oh my God. Then when he introduced, he, he asked me what it was about. Said, oh my God. Uh, I'm just reading that book. And I said, oh yeah, I, I haven't read it yet. He says, well, you're chapter 16 or something like that. Oh, I okay. I just started reading the book. I didn't, you know, I was reading it on the plane too, but I hadn't gotten that far into it. So that's that's really cool yeah. for a stranger to tell you that you're in the book that you're reading that you haven't got to yet. <laughs> right. It's very cool. Um, so uh in the last year since I've talked to you, uh, what changes have occurred? Um with, with what you, the work you're doing and with maybe California laws, like what, what's been going on the past year? Well, I think a lot in the promotion of harm reduction strategies, but, and unfortunately that's because uh, so many people uh, continue to die. And during the pandemic, you know, it just worsened um, uh, because people weren't able to access services. I think people have experienced more trauma, more people, turning to drugs and then of course fentanyl flooding the markets. Um, so uh, even with Narcan, sometimes uh, can't don't have enough Narcan to reverse it because it's so much stronger. So, uh, so the reasons that our harm reduction strategies are getting more and more accept, uh, accepted and adopted are sad that the numbers have gone up so much. You know, I think overdoses from, um, I wanna say it's this right, April, 20 um 2020 to april 2021 uh there was over 100,000 overdoses so it just um you know really uh, continues to grow and and now everybody is aware finally uh, of this problem and the fact that it's it, it's a problem shared by everybody um through all cultures and uh economic status, but particularly, of course, hitting um, areas of poverty and um, areas that, that, that can't access services. Um, so what has gone on is that, I mean, we're just, uh, our Narcan trainings and distributions, are not just in San Diego County, but across uh, the United States have, have really accelerated um, to, try, to try to meet the need. You know, I think when I talked to you before, I was calling it a double, a dual crisis of COVID-19 and, and um, opioid overdose. And, and it became really clear that it's a triple crisis when you add systemic racism into the mix. And those communities that are most at risk are, are being hurt the most um, and uh, uh, communities of color and poverty. Um, so our organization continues to grow on the, um, I'm sitting at my desk, I keep the um, number of uh, overdoses that we were able to reverse that, that we heard back from people because they would actually reach out and ask for another kit of Narcan. 
um, we are now at 2,225 lives reported saved. And that's just those that come back to us and tell us that, that they did. So it's, um, so we've been busy. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And that's really great work you're doing. And that's amazing. You know, saving one life is amazing, but to save thousands. Right. Right. And um, and I do know I did notice uh, some changes this year. I talked to a, a woman named Claire Zagorski. She uh, co-hosts the Drug Futurisms podcast, and she's, um, a, I believe, a paramedic and does harm reduction. And she said she would give speeches or go speak at events, and we'd be be told to not to use the word harm reduction because it was a turnoff for people there. And then to hear the president say that word harm reduction in the State of the Union address was a huge step forward. I think. Oh, you know, for. 23 years we've been at this and I was told uh, not to mention harm reduction and, and really you're a mother that would want to promote clean uh, needles, you know, and, and, and help people to use drugs. What's what's wrong with you um, to where now hearing the White House make these statements? You, I guess if you live long enough, you can see the world change somewhat. And I mm-hmm. never thought we would be hearing that coming from the federal government. But we've been pushing for this for so many years that, of course, it's music to our ears. But now it's in, you know, they say, OK, well, now we're going to implement changes. But I still see things getting bogged down with bureaucracy. Good news is that people's minds are changing. The bad news is that we're still, you know, not able to deliver treatment on demand or deliver the, uh, and particularly during the pandemic, to access the services that people need um, to survive out there. So, um, but yes, it, it, we we have definitely seen change, and that's encouraging. It really is, and it, I hate the the partisan kind of culture here, where no matter if both sides agree on something, it doesn't matter because they're going to try to piggyback bills onto other bills and it's going to slow everything. Like the more acts probably not going to go through for these reasons. Yeah. And, um, and then in communities, you have a big problem with safe injection sites is people might support them, but then they don't want them in their neighborhoods. So then well, where do yeah. you put them? You have to, have, they have to be where the people are using or, you're, or they're not going to save lives. Yeah. And that old adage, would you rather have people dying in the streets or would you like to have them have services and, 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 so that yeah yeah um but the fact that's an i'm glad you brought that up the fact that we do have now uh uh you know we call them harm reduction centers and that was partially to reduce the stigma attached to saying safe consumption sites Mm -hmm. right yeah um but that we do have them in in new york and uh uh, pilot program, I guess, in, in San Francisco and hopefully soon in, in Los Angeles. But yeah, that the NIMBY not in my backyard kind of mentality is still um, a real roadblock in, um, to the services. But you know, over when I think about the last 23 years, I was one of those moms that would have found needles in, in my son's room and thrown them away in horror. And, and, and I came from that to to, you know, really believing in, in supporting safe, uh, you know, syringe uh, cleaning, syringe uh, exchanges and being right there and delivering Narcan. Uh, it, so it, it, it's kind of an education um, process as well as a destigmatizing process that, that process that helps people to embrace needed change, right? Mm-hmm. And, and also, unfortunately, People don't seem to get it till it hits really close to home. And now um, that, that there's 
so many people struggling with a substance use disorder and um, and and incarceration or, or involvement with criminal justice, that when it hits close to home, then people start saying, "Oh, oh, okay, you know, then we need change." Yeah, and that's what's happening. And thankfully, it's finally happening. But like you said, it's it's really sad that it take, it's taking this many people to overdose and die for people to finally start paying attention. We could have solved this problem a long time ago and these people would still be alive. I've lost friends, multiple friends, you know, people that I grew up with that are no longer with us. And, you know, we can stop people from dying from here on and out, but we can't get those people back, but we're still losing people. And, and I don't hear any talk about safe supply. I think it's one step at a time, take baby steps. Best best thing we're going to be able to do is harm reduction right now and um, possibly decriminalization like what's happening in Oregon. But safe supply is, is, is my ultimate goal for people like a Switzerland kind of program or something like that. Yeah. And, well, and you know, Washington's probably going to be the next state um, to decriminalize all drugs. I've been in meetings with them and then I'm hoping that California then will follow, you know, I think, you know, in the beginning of um, legalizing marijuana, it was, it was, it, it will happen. It just, how long will it take? It's not mm-hmm. a question of if, but when. And I think that, that um, that's going to happen here too. I, I'm, I, like you, I'm very disappointed in what I'm hearing about the MORE Act. It's such a, I mean, it, it would make so much sense for the MORE Act uh, to pass and and i think that the public sentiment is in favor of it but you're right politics gets in the way and cogs the wheel um but i think decriminalization is coming and needs needs to come and it is one of the supreme uh forms of harm reduction right if you take the Mm -hmm. whole scope of what harm reduction is from wearing a helmet when you're riding a motorcycle to what whatever it would um, it, it definitely fits there because criminalizing, um, putting something into your own body. I mean, criminalizing substance use is, is, uh, is very, very harmful and traumatizing, not only for the individual, but for their whole family. And, and then you see communities decimated by it. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, and, and you're not helping people if you by criminalizing it. You're actually exacerbating the problem because somebody who has already has mental problems, childhood trauma, whatever led them to their to their drug use that became an addiction or a substance use disorder, then you arrest them and you get them a criminal record, make it harder for them to get jobs. You marginalize them. You are creating the perfect scenario for addiction to worsen. There's yeah. no, I mean, and then you they'll, every once in a while, there'll be that random story of the one person that got arrested and cleaned up their act. And then they, that's the story they put, they want to put on the news and show, show everybody like it's possible because they did it. And there's always one politician that wants to tell you that story, you know, just put them in jail. That'll spin their head around and, you know, no. And, and, you know, my experience, my son was, you know, cycled through prison for 11 years of his life for possession of marijuana. So a, a, a charge that would no longer in California have been, you know, a felony. So, um, you know, it, 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 we, but I want to just insert this because as, as excited as I am about movement forward uh, with harm reduction, there's always this backlash, you know, happening. Mm-hmm. So the, it, it, it becomes political and people, say say that didn't work this harm reduction stuff didn't work there's people are still out there dying so now we need to bring criminal justice in and you know and put the big hammer down and take care of it our way you know so 
I'm, I'm still that whole thing about uh, drug induced homicide. Um, I think that that there are uh, people who feed on the pain of parents who've lost a, a child and say, you know, well, we got to get that drug dealer and we've got to, you know, charge him with murder. And and you and I both know that for me, my sons could have just as easily been the dealer as the user, you know, mm-hmm. if, if I could switch positions on a dime. Because of the black and, market. Yeah. If Because yeah, if, if you have for, to afford your addictions, a lot of people that are addicts will also sell just to support their own addictions. Totally. And, and so why would two families be grieving the loss of, of, of someone? And, and then there, there people will say, oh, yeah, I get that. I get that. I understand. But but we want to go after the big dealers. Uh, well, you know, OK, who are those guys? And isn't that just a giant game of whack-a-mole that takes us away from taking care of the people that we need to rather than, you know, building up these teams to go after the true criminals which I know they there are those, but it, it just seems like wasted energy when, when the need is so great for resources to expand um, our, our treatment and, and, and education so people understand what they're talking about, you know, in terms of this is not willful. People don't use because they want to destroy themselves and their families, you know, that's it's a maze that they need help getting out of. And, and you're right, it exacerbated by a criminal justice approach to a public health problem. Exactly. It's, it's, and also another thing is, we, you know, we started prohibition when the, the over a hundred years ago, really, is when it started, you know, unfolding, and nobody alive today remembers a world without prohibition. So when we keep talking about, so now we're trying to, as we roll back from prohibition into something else, it's not going to be an easy adjustment because we've created a horrible underground with the most violent people, the most um, now dangerous because of the iron law of prohibition, really powerful, potent substances like fentanyl. So, and this is all created from prohibition. So the rollback's not going to be easy peasy. We're done. We were right. So people have to realize that there's going to be problems when we do it. And it's not, and but prohibition hasn't worked. It has not worked at all. If we have 100,000 deaths now, when Reagan in 1986, when he passed the bill, said we would have a drug-free America by 1995. So it's 2022 and we had 100,000 deaths on the black market from black market opioids. So it's not working. Well, so newsflash, uh, drugs have been part of a, of a human experience from the beginning of mankind, right? It's not mm-hmm. possible to have a drug-free society. Well, and and, that, and that's why I hate those kinds of slogans, drug free communities yeah. and all that kind of stuff. It, it ain't happening. It, it never will happen. You're really talking about which drugs do we sanction and which do we not, which do we demonize, which are, you know, it, so uh, and that and that's kind of a, an obnoxious debate, you know, and, and judgmental and uh, critical and, and prejudicial. And so, yeah. Yeah, I mean, even the term drugs and alcohol, it's it's a stupid term. Alcohol is a drug and it's not just a drug. It's one of the most dangerous if it's if it's not being if you don't use it very carefully, it can turn very violent. Um, you know, car accidents like so many. Like I was talking to one paramedic. They said it would be like alcohol related 10 times and then there would be an opioid, opioid uh, instance. But it was 10 times alcohol. I mean, and I know that's a lot more people probably drink because it's legal, but it is a dangerous substance. And 
but we we trust adults to to use it responsibly and yeah. and make those decisions for themselves. So why don't we do it with other drugs? And it really goes back to really goes back to racism when it goes back to when the laws were first created. They were used to control groups of people that they didn't like because well-to-do white people have been using those drugs throughout prohibition with very little negative effect until right. now. I mean, now the street drugs are starting now that it's starting to affect the white kids. They're starting to pay more attention. Yeah. And I'm glad that this is another advancement, I would say, that people are more more readily accepting the truth that it is racist, that, you know, if, if, if I had said that 10 years ago, which I did, people would look at me like, well, what are you talking about? You know, no, that's, it. yes, it, it, it has been racist from the beginning. 100%. And that's actually something I learned. When I got into this podcast, I knew there was race, racial elements because I've read the books that I've read. But I, until I read the new Jim Crow and really understood like how deep it it goes and honestly how how it still is just as bad as, as it was. And the thing is, though, is a lot of people in the, our circles and people that I would say kind of agree with me on these things, they they understand what I'm saying. But a lot of people, when you mention racism, and I'm seeing this on the right everywhere, and I live in a very uh, red wing area of Florida. Um, you mentioned racism, they, they stop listening immediately. They don't want to hear it. it. It's over. We won. Look at Obama. It's the black exceptionalism thing. You have, you need your, your token one, um, success stories. Yeah. Where you can point at them and say, see, we cured racism. And that's, that's not how that works. If you have 40% of the prisons with black, filled with black men, when they only make up 6% of the society, you can't tell me that's just because they're just bad people. It, it doesn't make sense. To, it's right in front of us and no one's looking at it. Well, some people are. It is in front of us. And, and I, you know, I, I tell people, you know, I'm obviously, I'm white and I, I have to really delve into my white privilege. If when, when, when I first people would say things like that, I, you know, you, your instant thing is to be defensive. But what really, the more you educate yourself about our history of systemic racism, the more you have to look at and say, well, wait a minute, well, do I have prejudices? Am I saying things the way that, uh, in a way that might be stigmatizing to others? Am I, you know, you really have to confront yourself and, and really work, work within your core to acknowledge where you might have inbred uh, prejudices. And mm-hmm. so, um, yeah, that's, I think, you know, life is a learning process, but I, I, I uh, again, there's going to be backlash, though, as a, every step forward that we take, there, the more there's, the, you know, the others who will get angry about it, that, that feel like, um, in terms of the race issue, that the United States is becoming more, more people of color than, than white people, and what does that mean, and does that confront me, and my own white superiority all that bullshit i'm sorry but mm-hmm. you know um raises its ugly head and um you know and i've said for so many years unless we all work together uh, on the same page to try to make life better for all of us you know uh, if we fragment into these uh groups and we don't acknowledge uh or, or work towards our own truth and honesty, um, you know, we're, we ain't going to make it together as a human race. I know. And right now things are, are not looking good in our, in our country. Our country's never been so divided. And now you have 
women's rights are under attack again. And this time it's, it's scary. It's, it's, it could possibly be overturned Roe versus Wade. And, and then you have half the country is cheering this on. I shouldn't say half the country. I'm pretty sure the numbers are less than half the country, but they're, they're very loud. Public and proud opinion about is very much in favor of maintaining Roe versus Wade. This is a, again, it got politicized, right? And, and I, it, I thank you for bringing it up because um, it, it, it is really scary. And since reading the handmaid's tale years ago, you know, it, 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 it it feels like that's happening that that could happen oh my god i know it's it, it's it really bothers me too because i talked i have a lot of family that are pro-life and it's something to do with the evangelical in them even though the bible mentions abortion zero times they say well thou shalt not murder and then i say well do you believe in the death penalty they say well yeah but that's old testament it's like just stop we're not a theocracy you can't quote that book with law in this country it doesn't work but my thing is is i the opposite of abort of pro-life is not pro-choice the opposite of pro of, of pro-life is pro-abortion and that would be mandatory abortions for everybody unless you you know unless you're approved by sanctioned to have a child or something like that and we're, we've never said that it's like how about we just let we meet in the middle and say let the woman choose that's that's the uh, the um source for <laughs> yeah but that's the compromise the compromise is let the woman choose it's her body and as long as her body i mean and, and we, you and i agree on this we don't have to get too much into it and i know that people that are pro-life really, really get angry when I talk to them because they think of it as murdering babies. And it's like. And, and there's a lot of um, campaigns to make people think that way, right? Rather than taking a more reasoned approach to it. Um, yeah, I, I think we're, we're living in, in very, very scary times. And, and again, for every two steps forward, it seems like there's one step back, but right. Recently, it feels like it's it's equally going back and forth. It is. I mean, I thought Roe versus Wade was done and done. For, you know, that's way in the past. And here we are, 2022, moving backwards again. And um, and now we have with what's happening with Russia and Ukraine. So all these huge things in the media. When I started this podcast, I was like, I think the war on drugs is the number one problem in this country. And then and it's still a huge problem. And I think it would solve a lot of the other problems we would see start to go away, such as the the police brutality that we see in the inner cities. This would stop oh, all the yeah. crimes. But there's so many other things that start happening, global warming. I mean, so it's, when you start talking about legalizing drugs, a lot of people aren't in interested in the conversation because they're focused on other problems that are also just as real. So, yeah. 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 But, but the, but the more you think about it, it is all interrelated. I, I, our, mm -hmm. our campaign, um, we started a couple of years ago. Um, Mom's resolutions was all about the interrelatedness of the war on drugs the war on women, the war on LGBTQ, racism, the war on poverty, the war on immigrants. It is all interrelated with the war on drugs. 100%. And, um, and, that, and that was at a time where I kind of took a bit of a pivot from just talking about the war on drugs to feeling like we have to talk about all of it, right? Mm -hmm. I can't, can't be just a one issue because we'd be blind if we didn't see all the, the maze of the interconnectedness of it. hundred percent. Yeah. And, and like, if you look at the way law enforcement's got dragged, you know, all through 
uh, through the war on drugs, and they they basically can do they can use the drug laws to attack the groups they want. And I I went to this uh, it was a gay bar is where I did my my podcast uh, launch party because um, uh-huh. one, one of my first guests is one of the co-owners. So we had it there, and I went in the bathroom, and there was a sign that I had to laugh. It said, "This is a drug-free zone. Anybody using drugs here will be uh, prosecuted." And I just thought it's funny because they make all their money selling alcohol, which is a drug. So I made the joke. But the reality was, is because they're a gay bar, they have targets for the cops coming in and doing random busts on because, you know, the, the whole stereotype that gay men like to do ecstasy or do different drugs. When I can go to a sports bar and, and watch guys go in and out of the bathroom doing cocaine all night and they're not at risk of getting messed with. But the gay yeah. clubs are. So they have to put up signs and let the law enforcement know that they're not going to tolerate the illegal drug use because the law enforcement is watching them like a hawk because they don't like them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, you're talking about targeting of so many groups, right? I mean, uh, a, a mother who uh, from Mexico who doesn't uh, who doesn't have her proper papers is afraid to take her child to school because she might get stopped and and deported. And um, it, it, people are targeted, and people uh, marginalized marginalized communities, as you said, are targeted. Um, and that includes black and brown uh, communities, communities of poverty, LGBTQ, and on and on. Yeah, it's a sad fact of our American way of life. It is. It is. And like I said, I really like to think that we're, we're uh, you know, kind of taking a turn on that and, you know, seeing what some states are doing. And it is states mostly out, um, the more progressive liberal states are doing. I don't know. And it just doesn't make sense to me with the Republicans, they're, they're the Freedom Party. They, they yell freedom from the mountaintop constantly. This if this flag offends you, you can leave. We're a free country. But they're the ones that don't want to give anybody the personal freedom to make uh, adult choices about drugs, about their women's bodies, about, I mean, I just don't yeah. understand it. Yeah, I think, and, and it made, it was made worse during the pandemic, but that the whole, I mean, I, I would like to think of myself as an independent, but I tend to vote Democrat, right? Um, it, it used to be that I could have same conversations with Republicans, but in the last, well, honestly, just put it this way, since Trump came to office, the, 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 there's no conversations. It's animosity towards one another. We're so clearly on different planes about, you know, um, human rights, uh, uh, human rights. It's basically a human rights issue, right? And then mm-hmm. and the, the way I would see it is that we're only as good as our weakest link, that everybody deserves the same chances and all those uh, opportunities, services, resources, all the same, right? That mm-hmm. That's what makes us great. And that our diversity makes us great, right? Mm-hmm. And, and but when I talk to them, yeah, but you know, those people coming up from the border, they're dangerous and they can't come in and infiltrate us. And what about having, you know, uh, it, it, welfare mothers and, you know, all the, the, the stuff anchor babies. Uh, yeah, it's it's it, so it's very hard to have civil conversations anymore. Uh, it, it, it's ruined friendships. And yeah. Uh, there's just uh, some conversations I just can't have because I get too mad and that's not who I used to be, you know? So 
Yeah, I, I completely agree. And the the people that yell about the wall, and you know, one thing is the uh, it's, it's the pro, uh, the pro life people are also the people that were chanting "build the wall." And you know, if you're pro life and you think that hum, you know, the sanctity of human life is this valuable and important, and it's a child. Well, where are they, where are they marching when you know the statistics came out? Thirty three thousand people were murdered in Mexico because of their drug problem, that a problem that we forced on them. They didn't want to uh, right. criminalize. And 33,000 people who are alive, these are not fetuses, these are people that are alive who have emotions and memories and families and loved ones, and they've been murdered. And a lot of them were not a part of the drug trade. They were not no business in the drug trade. They saw something wrong, or somebody came and asked for their daughter, wanted to take their daughter into, a, into sexual slavery, and they said no, so they murdered their whole family. And this is happening everywhere. How about we help them fix these problems instead well, of where is the wall. outrage? Where is yeah. the outrage about that? Why? Yeah, and I, um, we had the opportunity to talk to and, and to, to advocate with some of the mothers of the disappeared. You know that 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 exactly what's happening. One woman lost four of her children that disappeared. So sad. Um, yeah. Yeah, and then it's where's the outrage? People are marching in the streets with signs with pictures of fetuses, which is just, it's just sensationalism. It, 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 I, it starts to look like a human being. I get it, but it's just, it's, it's nonsense, really. But they're holding these signs, they're marching, they're mad. Well, what about all the people being murdered in these other countries? Instead, you're going to chant build a wall. Like we messed that country up horribly with our drug policies. And also, it's not that they're bringing drugs over, we're sending our money and our guns over there to fund the whole thing. Yeah, and that and all of that needs to come to light as well. How the guns play in with the drugs, and uh, yeah, yeah, they said I think it's something like ninety percent of their the weapons the cartel use our gun manufacturers make, and they they don't get stolen from them. They all they make profit. Every one of those weapons they got paid for, and those gun manufacturers are living going on yachts from the profits of these gun sales. Yeah, and that's a whole other issue. I'm talking about guns. There was just that mass shooting. You know what's sad is. I watched the documentary that I did not enjoy at all. My mom recommended, but um, it was it was about the McDonald's massacre in '84, and it was um, believed to be possibly racially racially, uh, racially motivated. It was a guy from Ohio that was mad about Mexicans coming over the border. So this is right right near your, you live. Yeah, right in my area, Chula Vista, I think, but right the Chula Vista McDonald's. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, drove drove down there, mad about the Mexicans coming in. It's like you're the immigrant in this situation. You're you're from Ohio, and you're gonna. But either way, yeah. He goes into the McDonald's and just. I mean, it was just absolutely horrible. So I turned that off. We finished watching that, and then I turn on the news, <laughs> and it's Buffalo. Buffalo. I'm like, oh, it's like that was 30 years ago, and the same things happening over and over. Racially motivated white supremacist drives into a store to murder innocent black people. What? What in the world? And, and, and then if you, you mention, maybe we should uh, do some background, uh, stricter background checks on weapons, not even saying we're taking guns, just how about mental, a little mental health test. Background checks. Yeah. And then people lose their mind. Like, what? that's going to, who's going to decide if I'm mentally, it's like, well, I think a psychiatrist, that's who, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, money, money corrupts. <laughs> And, uh, and power corrupts. And, and I think this is how we get into these places where, uh, but, but, you know, you have a whole, you just introduced a whole new topic that's so, that yeah, our gun laws, my God, my God, what will it take? Um, like, I think the answer is there's, there's nothing it would take. They're, they're never gonna give up on holding onto their guns. 
And uh, I mean, Sandy Hook, if that wasn't enough. But what happened with that? A lot of them actually said it was staged because of the Alex Jones things. That, you know, oh, it was staged. They're just trying to use this to take your guns. Yeah. Oh, like what world do you live in? And this is not, it's not, this is not an isolated incident. That this thing, these have been happening every day. There's a shooting. Well, there's Holocaust uh, deniers as well, you know, so, and social media can really promote disinformation. Obviously that's mm. another one of our big uh, problems in our society. And, and where, where I really would promote free freedom of speech um, there has, I mean, we are now in an era where, where, where people are believing absolute disinformation. I mean, just, that's just pouring out there. Uh, and, and somehow, um, I don't know, I, I used to call it the dumbing down of America. I think people felt so entitled as Americans, oh, the government will take care of us. We don't have to think that much. We don't have to, um, you know, self-learn that much, which it, it would be taken care of. But uh, so now we're in a position where I don't think people do. Uh, I mean, like, like critical race theory, like well, we can't, te- what we can't teach it, we can't teach the truth. We're not supposed to introduce uh, that to children who may be traumatized by it as if they're not traumatized by seeing what they're seeing already on the news every day i you know exactly and i'm in florida so it's happening here they've they're banning uh critical race theory from being talked about in school and i see people on facebook talk about you know the, uh, talk bad about critical race theory but they don't know what it is they have no idea what it even is they don't know they don't they think it's some kind of like a, a theory that says no it's just a discussion about racial race in america and it's a, it's a discussion uh-huh. that needs to be happening way more but now we're going to say stop talking about it and if until we fix the ra- problems with racism in this country we need to be talking about it yeah and your state is particularly bonkers right now too that uh, don't say gay and all the, all the whole thing and, and, and that thing people are like well we don't want our kids learning about homosexuality in the kindergarten it's they're not they never were no no kindergarten teachers sitting there explaining the homosexuality <laughs> no. to kids but they put it into a law for the specific reason to inflame the left and to poke at them and to make them mad. And it's, it's just absolute ridiculous politics. And it's, and I, and who knows what's going to happen. And well, this, we know what's going to happen in the midterm, unfortunately, it's not going to be good. Um, but then what's going to happen two years after that, that's what I'm worried about. Yeah. Yeah. But um, not to, I want to be so grim with uh, you know, <laughs> ominous. Grim, right? I mean, it is. Yeah. I like to think positively because there is, like I say, we're talking about positive things um, coming forward. But, you know, when Biden talked about harm reduction and um, they, they, you know, all of a sudden there was all these signs about Biden supporting crack houses, you know, and then his son and all this stuff. People just didn't listen to what was actually going on. They didn't read any of it. They just heard something yeah. and ran with it. Yeah, I know. And there's been, uh, is it Gupta? The, 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 I, I can't think of his name. Dr. Sanjay Gupta. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of uh, good people in positions now. Well, again, think uh, that's encouraging in the administration that uh, that really do fully support harm reduction strategies. Um, you know, and there's some there's funding for harm reduction strategies. There's some good funding, but again, it can get really bogged down in a maze of the bureaucracy. Let's have another meeting to talk about it. And, 
whether it's mm-hmm. effective or not. We know harm reduction is effective. You know, we know that syringe exchanges have, have, have really changed the face of HIV and, and Hep C and the, and and you know and can and we also know that that people who feel like they're um, they're valued as human beings when they're greeted, you know, uh, at a uh, clean syringe exchange, will sometimes say, uh, you know, I I think I'd like to get some help. I'd like to get out of this. What mm-hmm. do you, can you? So when people are treated like human beings, um, they they can make changes. Now we need to make sure that when they're ready to make that change, that there are services available, and we have to make them it is easy and. Uh, non-traumatizing and non-stigmatizing as possible so that they um, can live their best life, whatever that means, by the mm-hmm. way. I mean, I, re- I really I really want to change the definition of what we call successful treatment, what we call successful recovery. You know, I mean, it, it should, recovery should mean whatever works for you to live your best life, right? That mm-hmm. you... Um, uh, that that you have relationships, that you have a a job, that you have a commitment to others, and 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 a relationship with others, and you know, and that you have a home uh, or, or whatever that means to you, where you feel safe, mm-hmm. you know. So, uh, you know that that well, this we're talking about harm reduction now versus abstinence, and I think we have made great strides with that. That that I'm not going to say gosh, you're, you're not sober if you're on psych meds or mm-hmm. you're not, you're not in recovery if you are on buprenorphine uh, versus, you know, I mean, I think, but there's still so much stigma to break through uh, on, on those things. So, and it goes back to that conversation of what is the definition of success? What is the definition of recovery? Mm-hmm. You know, It's true. And if you look at Switzerland, they said like, they're having huge success rates with people who get on the heroin program will get clean, but some, a small percentage will not get clean. They will use heroin the rest of their life. And the thing about heroin is if it's a controlled and regulated and safe dose, it's a, you can be very productive much more than if you're an alcoholic, you can go get your heroin, you can go to work, you're, you, you function completely fine. Just think about people who actually have chronic pain, who have been prescribed pain medicine, who have taken it for years and you never knew they were on it. And that's what we're talking about. So to say, well, and we we live in a very puritanical kind of uh, culture that, you know, built on the backbone of those ideas. So people think abstinence only. It doesn't work with sex and it doesn't work with drugs. We have to figure out harm reduction with these. How do we make it safer? And that's what you're saying. Like, so did you know David Poses? No. He's an author and he wrote, um, unfortunately, he passed away this year. Um, I'm really sad, but he was an advocate for a safe supply because he was a heroin addict for years, but he kept quitting. He's like, I could quit. The problem is, is he was extremely depressed. So he would quit for months and months and just never find happiness. So that's why it always led him back to heroin. And he finally found um, buprenorphine and finally got into a program, but he would spend his life calling places to find out how long the wait list was to get on just to see. And he said, it was just ridiculous times that for the slots that weren't open for people. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, and that's the kind of change that we need to see. And that's why I hate to see resources and energy go into criminal justice measures when we so de- desperately needed to have, you know, quick access to services. Yeah. And mental health and therapy. 
These things cost money and they need funds. And right now we spend billions of dollars. You know, I really, the one thing I didn't like about the defund the police movement was because as the title, they just named it wrong. Defund the police sounds like we're going to have zero police. It needs to be demilitarized the police because we've militarized the police, put so much money. And what are these task force for? Like with the McDonald's shooting, they had a task force there and they talked about how well they were able to, once they finally got there, which they got there late. But anyway, most task force, you would think they're used for stuff like that. They're not. They're used to go into poor neighborhoods and kick indoors. And you've had elderly women have heart attacks because they were so scared and traumatized when the door were kicked in. I mean, that's the money that we could be stop spending that immediately and put it into mental health. Absolutely. And you um, just said something pretty profound. I, I uh, The defund the police, that was a terrible name. It really polarized people, you know, like all these radicals want to get, you know, take the money away from the police departments and, or, you know, basically end criminal justice of any sort. Right. But, but we do need, we do need criminal justice. We need to be working with criminal justice though. They cannot be taking the lead on, on substance use issues. You know, that's not, that should not be, they should be, you know, getting murderers, serve and protect, serve and protect back to serve and protect. Exactly. And when you do say, when you say something like defund the police, you're just, you're just polarizing. So we can't, we can't find a middle area. And yes, we, uh, we really, uh, in San Diego has terrible uh, stats with our uh, desks behind bars and, um, and, uh, and, some issues with militarized uh, police actions in the communities and stuff, and like like every other city, I guess, or, or large cities. Um, so it, it was a very unfortunate naming because it didn't uh, didn't accomplish anything but pushing people to polar opposite ends. I know. And I immediately, when I saw the movement, I immediately, I, I understood that I agreed with it because I was pretty certain for that. And there was probably some people in the movement that didn't understand it themselves. They thought defund the entire police, but most people level-headed enough would say, we're not going to defund the whole thing. But for me, it's like yeah. demilitarize the police, defund the drug exactly. war, you know, figure out how to, I mean, if we end the drug war, then a lot of the murder problems that these, and also human trafficking problems, they, a lot of those go away because right. without the protection of the cartels with their drug money, the human trafficking is not, uh, will not sustain by itself. I mean, I'm sure on some level it will a small amount, but it'll be so much harder for them to get away with what they're doing. And these are the issues people should care about human trafficking. That should be on the top of people. If you want to march for something, go march for that. That's yeah. oh, man. It's um, it's it's a we have a long way to go, unfortunately, with um, getting people to change their minds. And like you said, right now we're so polarized. And I see, I I'll see people I completely agree with. I love what they say, but then they come in and they just start cussing, and they're just like so mean to the Republicans. They're like, you know, you dumb, blah blah blah. And it's it's like, you know, you're not you're not making it better. Like I I agree with your points you made before that, but then you ruined it all by, by just pushing by, them away, by pushing yeah. them away, and by going stooping to that level, that Trumpian level of so what we call it, because. Yeah. I mean, really, before Trump, I never heard a president talk the way he did. And once the, once the leader, once the, the leader of the free world is just openly making fun of mentally handicapped people and things like that, then the bar is set so low at that point. And what does that say for kids? I mean, what 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 message did that send uh, for the children that watched their president talk and behave like that? I know. And now, and now there's the um, Let's Go Brandon movement, which literally translates it's a, a euphemism, a euphemism for uh, fuck Joe Biden. And I see children 
walking around with these shirts, 10 year olds with let's go Brandon shirts. It's like this, where did did the decency go? And the Republicans always claim to be the party of morals. And, and I can respect that. If you, if you're a Christian and that's the way you live your life and you're, you have morals, then if that works for you, that's great. But you can't say that you're that. And then, you know, it's just turned into something so nasty. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, a little political on this one. I mean, I guess <laughs> yeah. this, I guess the drug war is political. Though. I mean, this is how it all started and it's um, how it's going to end too. We're going to have to, it's going to have to well, end. And again, these policies have been traumatizing to all of us. And then you add, uh, you know, COVID and, 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 and all of the isolation and the frustration and the depression that goes along with all that. It, um, yeah, it, it, interesting. They start off the program by saying, "Look at these advancements," and yeah, I, I, I'm excited. I hear about advancements. That's great. But we still are living in this jungle that you've been describing, you know, and and that I agree with you on every area, every point that you've made uh, on this um, in this conversation. So, um, you know, my husband will say gosh, I don't know if I would want to bring children into this world. <laughs> and I said, yeah, but, you know, back in the late 60s, you know, we, we were saying the same thing. You know, with the, So yeah. uh, it is the world that, that, they will, uh, that they will inherit and that um, hopefully they will find their leaders that can... Um, uh, and the support of their leaders to to find a way towards a uh, more humane, uh, compassionate, tolerant society, or our democracy is dead, and uh, and maybe down the line, the whole species. I mean, I'm, I'm old enough to talk that way, right? You I know, mean, it's an um, ominous thing to say but it's true it's this, this truth that we have to face but we're not facing half the country doesn't believe in global warming they think it's a liberal some kind of liberal conspiracy to destroy the gas company i don't know what what benefit would come from this being a conspiracy i don't get it um doesn't yeah. make any sense and also if you look at it this way let's say hypothetically there's a one percent chance you're right whatever the chances are if you if we don't listen and we just assume that global warming is not real what happens well then we all die if it turns out it was a hoax and we go to clean energy, what happens? Well, then we just have a different source of energy. So there's no there's no negative outcome right. for believing no, the science. There's no lose if, in the scenario if you, yeah. Right. So I I just I think we did, people need to think try to think more logically and critically, but they don't, and they they don't even want to. Like you said, we're critical race theory. We're gonna not even talk about that. We want that out of all the books and out of all the classrooms. So if, if that's the mentality happening, then unfortunately it's not looking good. But. Yeah. Well, um, I don't want to end on that note. So, so one more question I was going to ask you is, I went to, to get back to um, the work that you do and with naloxone or um, is that, is that the narky yeah, naloxone. I went to my uh, pharmacy just up the road just to find out that um, I read that you can just go to any pharmacy without a prescription and get naloxone. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I went in and I, and I asked for some and they, and it was $175. I didn't get it. Cause I really didn't need it. I was just thinking, that, I mean, it's not a bad thing to have around like in the car. If something, something 175, happened. I think it's 75 in pharmacies here um, yeah. in California, but, um, but we give it out free. 
obviously, mm. right? And and we're getting more and more grants to give it out free. And it's not in the very beginning when we started our program in 2014, we were purchasing Narcan to get to, and then it was Naloxon before the brand name Narcan. Um, and and you know in those days we were teaching people how to inject uh, an orange because mm -hmm. it, there was a little bottle and yeah and now the nasal thing is so easy the Narcan uh, but um, we we give it out and thank thankfully the federal government is making funds available so that we can always have Narcan supplies free to give out to people so. Um, this was a, I, I'm glad you brought this up because this was an issue with our sheriff's department. During the pandemic, I really wanted um, inmates that were returning to have Narcan as they left, you know. So we we had meetings and meetings to, to, to talk to. And they said, well, yeah, but they get a prescription when they leave and that's okay. And I said, they'll never make it. That A, they won't have the funds to, to, to buy it. And B, they'll never make it. You know, they're given two hundred dollars in buy, go have a life, and they'll and because tolerance level is generally down uh, coming out mm -hmm. of jail, uh, because they haven't established their supply they, like they would in prison, right? Mm -hmm. Yet they um their their stats are are dismal about uh, uh, making it and um and not overdosing, so. Uh, so we did talk them into uh, of putting the Narcan um, in a, a short training and and it took a year <laughs> for them to finally give it uh, to, to people returning. But but in again, the bureaucracy of this that um, that that how many lives did we lose? just trying to figure out the mechanics of something that is as simple as just give it to them. Here mm -hmm. it is. Just, you know, why yeah. not? If you use it, if you use it and, and you think somebody's overdosing and they're not overdosing on opioids, it's like water that does nothing happens. But if they do have narcotics in their system, it brings them back. Right. Yeah. It's it, a miracle. It, it's a miracle jug. I mean, it's, it's it's a, why on earth it took so long for people to embrace this concept and the only reason was stigma you're helping people to use drugs you know you're 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 being a codependent and you know i have a whole thing uh true love not tough love um to dispel that theory uh of, of being a neighbor and codependent if you try to help people uh, the, People can't recover if they're dead, right? So you mm -hmm. have to keep them alive. But that, but that whole thing of trying to change people's minds enough to um, why on earth if people are dying of overdose behind bars, do they not have Narcan? Why yeah. on earth? Why on earth? Knowing that the stats are so high for people returning from jail, why would they not have Narcan? What what is the problem with seeing this? And anyway, that, I, the money part of, of that, the cost $175 at a pharmacy, you know, that's, that's really makes me say never go to a pharmacy. There are plenty of organizations giving out Narcan in the back of their car, you know, yeah. so, yeah. So, yeah, it's, um, I mean, it, it's crazy just how amazing of a, a drug that could be to save lives, but why people say things like, um, 
Well, if you allow, if you give them Narcan, then you're, then they'll be more likely to do it because they, because you're, you know, allowing it. It's like, that's never been the case. No drug addict said, oh, oh, there's Narcan in that case. I will do the drugs. No, they yeah. were doing that either way um, or not. Yeah. Cause, cause people who don't use drugs aren't waiting for the a safe supply so they can do it. I mean, I, you know, it's, yeah. it's just yeah. um, a bunch of, a bunch of really nonsense. But I love what you're, what you say when you say true love, not tough love, because that's what we need. People have, you have to be there. You know, I have a, one of my best friends I've talked about in this podcast, and I didn't mention him by name because he was um, addicted to fentanyl and was just going through a really rough time. But he, he's, his family never gave up on him, and um, he is now clean or he's in, or clean on his own terms, he's, but he's not on fentanyl anymore. He's got off the methadone. And he came and visited me, and that told me that's how I knew he was doing good because he was able to travel. He got on a plane, came down. Yeah. We had a great time, and he did a podcast and told his story with me. So, you know, so when I hear stories like that, it's like if his, if his family would have gave up on him and he would end up on the streets, there's no way he would have been clean. Yeah, yeah, and and you know, my sons have said as much to me that 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 they found their recovery because they always knew they had a loving family waiting for them and believing in them. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, a mom that believed that, that they could. Yeah. And it helps. I don't know. And I've always had that in my life. And that's another part of, we talk about white privilege and things, but things just coming from a middle-class white family that I didn't realize was a privilege because it's just your regular life. But when I would get in trouble, I had a family support system when, you know, when t- times were hard, I, you know, I had love and, and what we've done is we've seen in some of these communities um, is we've destroyed the communities. We've locked the fathers up in jail. We've marginalized them with criminal records. And, and because of this, with the broken families, those kids, when they're coming up, they, where do they find love from? They find it from the, the other drug gangs and people that are in the gang cultures. And that becomes their network. And, and there's, it's just truly sad. We've created a system where, where people don't have the love that they need to get better, to, yeah. to yeah. And people do need a sense of community, and so if that's the community that they're that's available to them, that's that's where they will go. Exactly. Unfortunately, it's very dangerous. It <laughs> is, but it's just a, if any white person who says, "Oh, they got themselves there," if they don't think they were born in the same situation, that they wouldn't be in the same spot, they're just naive. I mean, yeah. if if you were born in that neighborhood, your father was in jail, and you know a lot of. Uh, you know, there's addiction with other parents, single mothers that are addicted to drugs, coping and things like that. And you're just going to come up in a place where there's no jobs, there's, but there's offering, you can sell some drugs on the corner. And then you're, you know, the idea that you wouldn't do that. And you'd be like, no, I would just keep going to school and hit those books. You can't say that unless you've been in that position. Yeah, no, that's just putting blinders on. Yeah. Well, Gretchen, it was really good talking to you again. I, I really thank you for coming on the podcast. Great talking to you too. And you hang in there. I think these stories, uh, these interviews are so important. People need to hear other people's circumstances and what brings them to these points of view. And um, so thank you for the work you're doing. And thank you for the work you're doing. It's really great work. (laughs) All right. Talk to you later, Gretchen. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. Peace, Nicks. I hope you enjoyed that. I know some of it was ominous. Got into some dark territory, but these are real issues and things that we really have to think about. You know, like I said, this podcast is a movement. This podcast is, I want people to be talking about this, be loud about it. This is not something we can just sleep on. We have people dying. We have people being sold into slavery. A lot of these issues do go back to the war on drugs and the the things that we're talking about on this podcast. So, and when we talk about things like climate change and Ukraine and women's rights, 
we, we need to be loud and vocal, but we also need to dial it back a little bit with the anger and with the name calling. And we need to try to start seeing each other um, on both sides of the arguments as people. Because if we're not looking at, the, at each other as one and the same, um, you know, if we keep this us and them mentality, then we're never going to get anywhere because we all have to come together to make these changes. We can't get things done if half the country's not on our side. So, you know, if you listen to this and you don't agree with everything I, I am saying, that's fine. But I do think you're going to agree with some of the fundamental things that we want less people to be hurting, less people to be dying, less people to be overdosing, less people to be addicted to drugs that they're having to get on the streets that are extremely expensive and extremely dangerous. We want less people to be murdered by cartels and gang members. We want, you know, Mexico could be a beautiful tropical paradise that it really should be. They have so many natural resources and beautiful land and beaches down there. Why are they coming up over here? And, you know, people are yelling about building a wall to keep them down there. Why don't we help Mexico fix the drug problem that we helped start? And they won't want to be coming over here. They'll have to have Border Patrol on their side to get us from coming from coming down there. So anyway, um, thank you so much for listening. Like I say, this is a movement. This is this is activism here. We got to do something. We have to be vocal about these things. So thanks for listening. Thanks for being a part of the conversation. And as always, if you like what we're doing... Go to Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star rating, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at the Peace on Drugs Podcast, and subscribe to our newsletter at www.thepeaceondrugs.com slash subscribe. And as always, we're going to let Twiggy Branches take us on out of here.
Talk to you.